We begin today's shiur six lines from the top. The Gemara opens with a quote from the Mishnah. It said, Once again, we're dealing with a woman whose husband had gone abroad, and word came to her through a witness, a singular witness, that he's dead. She went and married a second husband. The original fellow comes back, and we say that she has to leave both of them, and the details of the Mishnah we have already learned and we're focusing on them in the, uh, during our previous year as well. So amongst the different details is that the uh, heirs of the first husband and of the second husband, neither group inherits her ksuba. The Gemara asks, Ksuba, my avidita, what is the uh, discussion concerning Suba doing here in the first place when we already said in the Resha of the Mishnah that this woman does not deserve a Ksuba. She doesn't receive a Ksuba. Ksuba, of course, is the financial marriage guarantee that a woman receives upon getting married. That in the event she is uh, divorced or widowed, she receives payment. But we've already said that this woman, who uh, retroactively we see behaved uh, wrong, wrongfully by marrying the second husband, basically a married woman uh, entering marriage with a second man, so we already said she loses the ksuba. So what is the point of the Mishnah telling us that the uh, heirs of both husbands, neither one, receives her ksuba? There was no ksuba due to this woman in the first place. The Gemara answers, Omarav Papa, Ksubas Bonin Dikrin. Uh, this is a special rabbinic institution that <coughs> is featured at, uh, extensively in Masechus Ksubas. In order to appreciate what Ksubas Bonin Dikrin means, literally the Ksuba of the male children, male sons. In order to appreciate that, uh, the best way to approach it is simply by going through the Rashi, who gives us all the background, and eventually we'll hopefully understand what the Mishnah meant when it said that the heirs of both men do not receive her ksuba. So we look at the Rashi, in the upper part of the narrow lines, ksubas bonendikrin, disnan b'ksubas, in Masechus ksubas it says, ksubas bonendikrin. This is a text that's written into the Ksuba. A man, upon marrying a woman, writes that the male children that we produce together, Inun Yarsin Kesef Ksubasech, Yeser Al Chukehon Diim Achuhon. This man who's marrying uh, the woman, he may very well have children from a previous marriage, or he may marry uh, another woman and have children from them. He tells the wife that he's marrying right now that the uh, male children that we produce, they will be the uh, beneficiaries of the property that uh, that you bring into our marriage that's a part of the ksuba that it, and we'll see mechanically how that operates as we go on so the man guarantees the this woman that the children that we have together the, the sons that we have they are going to inherit your ksuba uh, as a, a separate uh, uh, unit of inheritance beyond 
my, my personal properties that are distributed equally amongst all of my children. If that woman dies in the husband's lifetime, and then the man marries a second wife, and she has children, and then the husband dies. So at this point, you have a uh, father of two sets of children that's dying, and the second wife, though, she remains alive. B'nai Shnia Afiluhain Nikevos, the uh, children of the second wife, even if they are females, Notlin Ksubas Imon, Kechov Gomor. They inherit their uh, mother's Ksuba as a basic debt to them and that's what we call Ikra Din that's not a Takona that's not a rabbinic uh, innovation Sharei Nis Almino Me'avihen she, their mother became a widow and as becoming a widow so the Ksuba the financial guarantees that are provided for that woman are paid to her as a basic debt and when she dies, her children uh, will... Uh, they, they're inheriting their mother. The, the fa- their father's already died. Their, their mother gets property. When she dies, her children inherit her. Uvenei Rishona, the children of the first wife. In Yesh Zechorim, if there are males... Dichrin was the word in the Gemara. The Dalit of that word, Dichrin, can be interchanged with a Zion, so you have Zechorim. So if there are male children from the first marriage, Noitlin, Ksubas, Imon, they will inherit their mother's Ksuba. Bear in mind, their mother died in their father's lifetime. Even though she died while the father was still alive. And at that point... By Torah law, the husband inherits the wife. Whatever properties she brought into the marriage and, and were written into the ksuba, the father inherits that. And the, when the father inherits properties, his properties eventually upon his death ought to be or should be distributed equally amongst all of his children. However, the Rabbonon Tikkun, the Rabbonon instituted, Ksubas Bonin Dikrin. A a special, we'll say a contingency, that though the father inherited uh, this woman, their mother, we're talking about the children of the first wife, though the father, their father inherited the mother, the property that she had brought into the marriage and that he had assigned to her, the Ksuba that was earmarked for her, they alone will inherit that. And why is that? Why is it, why is it so important that the uh, specific children of that woman inherit the money that uh, was assigned to her, that she brought into the marriage, and that 
the, that was written into the Ksuba, so that her father will be motivated to dedicate toward her marriage money as uh, uh, as as if it were his son, and what the, what's the motivating factor? A, a father knowing that whatever he assigns to his to his daughter, uh, when he, the Rashi makes reference, he came with Vito Kivno, a a son inherits the father. That's standard Torah law. Daughters, when there are sons, daughters by Torah law don't inherit their father. When in the presence of uh, of sons of, of their brothers, however, the rabbis want to uh, motivate fathers to give to their daughters and in, uh, upon their marriage. And what will motivate a man to do that is knowing that his properties will eventually land up not distributed amongst some other lady's children, but amongst his own grandchildren. That's. Subas Bonendikrin. I hope it's not too complicated. Uh, if it sounds that way, so listen to this section again, go over the Rashi. <clears throat> However, we have to tie this issue into our story. In the case of the woman that <clears throat> was originally married properly to Mr. One, but uh, he went abroad and a witness came and said that he died. She then went ahead and married Mr. Two and the first guy, the first husband shows up. We say that the children of uh, this man will not receive the ksuba. V'hocha lo shakli yorshin dilaw ksubas bonedikrin elo b'nei hakshayra notlin ksubas imon. V'sha'ar cholkin b'shavet. As far as the woman's ksubas bonendikrin, that is money that uh, she that was guaranteed toward her ksuba, whether it be from the first husband or the second husband, the uh, the children that she has with those husbands respectively will not be inheriting her ksuba, other than the children that she had. Uh, under kosher circumstances. In other words, before she married the second husband. However, any children that she has from the second husband or possibly from the first husband that uh, that, that that takes her back uh, wrongfully uh, after he returned, those children will not receive the ksuba that was assigned to their mother. And uh, that's the intention of the mission when it says that the Gemara continues, and we're reading at the end of the line in the Gemara, Pshita, is that not obvious? So the Gemara says, Mahu I might have thought the Dida the Avda Isura Kansura Bonan. The woman herself that did something wrong, she married the second man when her first husband in fact was alive so she did something wrong so we understand all of the points of loss that she must experience as stated in the Mishnah Lazaro, but her children they didn't do something wrong so maybe they shouldn't lose out so that's the Kiddush of the Mishnah that they too lose out the 
two husbands that we featured in our Mishnah upon their death, let us say they died leaving no children. So then the issue of Yibum comes up. So the uh, Gemara continues and says, Ochiv Shel Rishon, the brother of the first man. Now the first man was a legitimate husband. He didn't do anything wrong per se by the fact that he went abroad and and, uh, and uh, inaccurate information concerning his death came came up. In the meantime, she married a second man. But that marriage was a, is a non-marriage. She shouldn't have married. She's a married woman to the first man. So, when they, upon their death, and they leave brothers, the need for chalitza there is a need on a Torah level. This was a legitimate husband that died leaving no children. So, in order to uh, release the the widow from the yibum, uh, um, the, the yibum ba- uh, binding, uh, we expect chalitza to be done, and it's done. If it's done, it's done on a Torah level. The lo the Mishnah taught there is chalitza, but no yibum. That's midrabanan. The Rabbonon imposed a knas here, a restriction, a rabbinic restriction, not allowing her to marry the brother of her first husband. Ochiv shel sheni, cholates midrabonon, the brother of the second Husband, we call we can t- technically speak call him the second husband, non-husband. So chalitza is required on a rabbinic level. The rabbis, even though it's not a real marriage, and his death, uh, leaving no children, is of no real is no no Torah consequence to the uh, to the widow. She's not really a widow of his anyway. However, the rabbis want chalitza to be done because in the uh, minds of the public people will think that the first husband actually divorced her and she was married to the second husband and if they see her going free without chalitza, people will think that a Yavama can marry uh, outsiders without any formal release. So as to prevent that conclusion from being reached in the eyes of the public, we want chalitza to be done. However, the Mishnah says there's no Yibum as far as the marriage to the brother of the second husband, that low he doesn't she doesn't marry him, Lomi on neither level, not on a Torah level nor on a rabbinic level. Uh, simply stated, she was never married to him, and therefore there's no need for any marriage to his surviving brother. There's a uh, note that we have on the side where we, in effect, um, paraphrase the Mishnah on Pezayim Abayz. At this point, one should be aware that there are three Tanoim that follow. You have Rabiosi, uh, who says a point, and then Rabbalozer, and then Rabbi Shimon. And we've noted their halachas on the side so that you don't have to turn back to pay Zayman Bays. Rabbi Yossi says, <laughs> that she does receive a ksuba from the 
property of the first husband. Rabbi Lozer says, Horishon Zakai According to Rabbi Lozer, the first husband is entitled to, yes, receive her uh, f- uh, found articles. If she finds things, he receives them. And uh, income she produces, he should receive. And the first husband retains the rights to annul her vows. And Rabbi Shimon also in this spirit of things of emphasis on first husband he says that the death with, upon the death of the first husband if no children were produced so all the laws of Yibum are in place and uh, intimacy on the part of her with his surviving brother or Chalitza will release any other co-wives that that first husband may have had. Those are three halachas that we saw in the Mishnah, starting with Rabbi Yossi, followed by Rabbi Lozer, and who, who was followed then by Rabbi Shimon. The order is uh, as important as we go on in the Gemara. But before we do so textually, let us glance under the Nosei Mivneh heading on the side. You'll notice a diamond. Take note of the fact that the diamond is uh, you see two kinds of diamonds namely the the uh, tips are shaded in but at opposite sides. And we also have a Roman numeral 1 and 2 this, uh, we highlight the names Rav Huna and Rav Yochanan in this Gemara and we've noted on the side Shnei Gishois Two approaches, Lagabi Gimel Deus Tanoim Shuskuruba Mishnah, regarding the opinions of three Tanoim mentioned in the Mishnah Rabbi Yosir Belozer Rabbi Shimon, Haim Basroi Modu Lakamoi, O Kamoi Modu Lebasroi. Do the opinion, the uh, earlier opinions, the uh, or wait, let's put it this way: the do the Basroi, the later opinions. Rabbi Shimon is the latest of these opinions. Do the later opinions concede to the earlier opinions? Or do we say that the earlier opinions will concede to that which was stated by the later opinions? That might sound a little bit superficial or even vague, but as we go through the Gemara, hopefully this will become clear. But in the meantime, you can see we've, we've uh, laid out the groundwork. We pointed out the structure of the Gemara, the two approaches, Rav Huna, and then later Rav Yochanan, and the issue concerns the order of the opinions and their respective halachas. Do the uh, later ones accept that which the earlier ones say, or do we say that the earlier ones accept that which the later ones say? So now with that in mind, we go in the Gemara, Omar Rav Huna, Basroi modu kamoi, kamoi lo modu basroi. Basroi means the later ones concede agree with the earlier ones the earlier ones do not agree, do not accept the opinions of the later ones and this is spelled out by the Gemara we underline the key names Rabbi Shimon now Rabbi Shimon was the last in the list of, of, of halachas that were taught Rabbi Shimon modu lay le Rebbe Lozer Rabbi Shimon will concede, will accept Rebbe Lozer's teaching Dema bia de iker Isura Loi Konis. We take a look at Rashi. Uh, Rashi across from here, a couple lines down. Biodiko Isura Lo Konis, the Kotani. It was taught in Mishnah that Biosa Koina Oisa Liftor Tsorosa. The act of intimacy, we can say, as we'll say, we say is the, the central. Uh, 
uh, problem, if you will. It's the most severe infraction uh, that might be uh, 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 might be violated. And yet, Rabbi Shimon says that uh, this woman uh, is is considered is considered uh, fully married. We'll say to the first husband. Is so far as that when he dies, she can uh, have intimacy in the context of Yibum with his brother. So the, the Bio, which is the Iker, the main uh, problem, and yet Rabbi Shimon doesn't impose any restrictions regarding Bio. He allows Bio with. Uh, with the surviving brother of that first husband and it's so effective in that it, re- it will release from any uh, Yibum uh, bond it will release any co-wives so Bia which is the main uh, a problem area and yet Rabbi Shimon does not view it with any sense of restriction and all the more so the topic that Rebbe Lozer had spoken about which are monetary matters which are less severe all the more so Rebbe Shimon can accept that which Rebbe Lozer says that the first husband who Rebbe Shimon already viewed as a real full-fledged husband without any restrictions he will certainly be able to receive any lost articles or have uh, annulment rights regarding her vows. So Reb Shimon will easily accept Reb Lozer. However, Reb Lozer, Lomodi, Leila Reb Shimon. Reb Lozer was an earlier, in terms of order of appearance in the mission, he was before Reb Shimon. And in the diamond, Rav Huna had said that the later accept the earlier, but the earlier do not accept the later. Reb Lozer is Pre, pre, uh, earlier than Reb Shimon in the order of the presentation in the Mishnah, so he doesn't accept Reb Shimon. Mitziaso Maisiadeva the Mamona who lost articles that the wife that the woman finds or income she produces that's an area of financial concern. It's money matters. So there, there's no knas, there is no rabbinic intervention, no restriction on his the first husband benefiting from those things. Avol. But when you're dealing with an act of intimacy, which is not the realm, it's not in the realm of finances, it's in the realm of Isur. Isur is the, we'll call the other area of halacha uh, outside of money matters. Literally, Isur is, it has to do with that which is prohibited, Isur Veheter, that which is permitted, outside the realm of monetary matters. A, uh, a loose, maybe uh, inaccurate translation would be areas of ritual law. Those areas are more severe; they're more restrictive. So that even though Rebelozer shows some type, some sign of, we'll say, leniency with regard to financial matters and its uh, their entitlement to the husband, when it comes to Bia, which is the realm of Esor, who konis, he imposes. A restriction, and he will not allow the uh, he will not allow bia yibum to take place between the uh, woman and the surviving brother of that first husband. Vitravayu modu le lurabiosi. Rebbe and Reb Shimon, they were later opinions relative to Rebiosi. They will accept Rebiosi. 
Hani diyasva to say lokonis. The uh, uh, let's see matters concerned by that that concerned Rebbe Lozer of Shimon were matters that apply to women that uh, coexist with their husbands. Diyasva to say sitting under him, living under him. So those things which are part of a an ongoing marriage, they do not impose any restriction. The Kulshikeng Tsuba, all the more so the matters concerning Tsuba de la Mishkal Umepak Koi Tsuba is paid upon the dissolution of the marriage, either through becoming a widow or being divorced, where they are separated from one another. So all the more so, uh, Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lozer, who, regarding matters that that was say, part of the maintenance of a marriage, which we could say, you could say you saw the spirit of the Mishnah that this marriage, uh, the marriage between her and the first husband, is uh, the, the the continued marriage of that is not something that's viewed uh, viewed positively by all opinions. It's something that some opinions would prefer to see split apart, and yet they are willing to accept that first husband benefiting from uh, these things. All the more so the Ksuba payment, which is a payment made upon the, as we say, the the <coughs> dissolution of the marriage, the separation, all the more so Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lozer will concede, will accept Rabbi Yossi's opinion that the Ksuba is paid from the property of the first husband. However, Rabbi Yossi lo modi lahu. Rabbi Yossi will not accept their opinion. Ksuba de la Mishkalu Mepaku, the Ksuba which is a payment upon her is paid for her to take and leave. So Delo uh, Kunis, it's regarding that that there is no knas. However, Avalhani Diaspa to say, but the other uh, matters the matters dealt with by Rebelozer and Reb Shimon, which are matters that would maintain a marriage, that are part of a, a maintained marriage, that Reb Yossi is not interested in the first husband uh, taking, uh, benefiting from. And now we approach Reb Yochanan, who will present an opposite approach, uh, opposite approach uh, of that taken by Rav Huna. The Gemara, Rabbi Yochanan Omar, Kamoi Modu Basroi. The earlier opinions will accept the later opinions. Basroi lo Modu Kamoi, but the latter ones will not accept the earlier ones. Rabbi Yosi Modi le Rabbi Yosi will accept that which Rabbi Lozar says. Ksuba demididei lo konis. The Ksuba which is paid from him, the man pays the woman and we see no restriction the culture all the more so uh, items that she finds or profit that she produces all the more so items that uh, or, or matters that go from her to him just to add another level of uh, understanding or explanation to that, Rabbi Yossi, who uh, mentioned that she gets from him the ksuba, 
he didn't do anything wrong. She's the one that did something wrong. She married a second man. Okay, when the uh, when it's this, when he come when the first husband comes back, so she's got to leave the second fellow. And and yet we see that the uh, first man is paying her a ksuba. Is going to pr- the ksuba? She will receive a ksuba from him. Call, when the Gemara said all the more so things she finds, she is someone that did something wrong. So you have someone that did something wrong that is going to benefit from him all the more so the, the the husband, the first husband that did nothing wrong all the more so he has rights to benefit from her. Rabbi Loser though, lo modile. Rabbi Loser does not accept Rabbi Yossi. And here is an example of, as Rabbi Yochanan said, that the latter ones do not accept the early ones. Rabbi Lozer appeared later. He doesn't accept Rabbi Yossi. Mitziyasu maisiyodahu I understand that things that she produces or the items she finds or profits that she produces, that goes from her to him. Avoksuba but the ksuba which is paid by the first husband to her that she should lose she did something wrong she married that second husband illegally utravaihu modu le rabbi shimon both rabbi yosi and rabbi shimon rabbi Lozer will agree to rabbi shimon uma hani demechaim lo kansi the cases of uh, Metziah and the Ksuba, those are matters that concern the husband while he is alive. And we see no restriction. Bia, the uh, act of Yibom de Lachar Misa, where the first husband is no longer around, local shikane certainly uh, can be performed. So that Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Lozer, who when the uh, uh, when when he's alive, we still see these uh, normal elements of marriage operating. So when he's dead, and there's a question of yibum, all the more so. Rabbi Shimon lo modi lehu. Rabbi Shimon, though, who said that the brother of the uh, first husband uh, functions in a yibum capacity, he doesn't accept the teachings of Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Lozer. Biahu Bia, which is after the death uh, of the first husband. So there, we don't impose any restrictions. Aval, hani, demechayim, but the matters that concern the first husband, which we, we, uh, we know that she's not allowed to go back to be married to the first husband. She's not allowed to go back to her uh, family life with the first husband. So matters that concern the the living individual Conus there he imposes a restriction. The Gemara continues uh, with a quote from the Mishnah Im Niseis Shelo Birshus. Uh, the Mishnah had mentioned that if she married without uh, uh, without the Rishus of Basedin, but rather based on the testimony of two witnesses that said the husband was dead. She, upon the husband's return, she can go back to him. Now, we want to emphasize, and it's extremely important to emphasize this, that this section, this point in the Mishnah, 
was mentioned by was was taught by Rabbi Shimon. So when you when you look at the Mishnah, this was basically on Pei Zayim and Beis. Uh, Reb Shimon had said uh, what we just quoted in the previous sugya. And then he goes on to say, and if she married the second husband without the uh, uh, the, the, the uh, ruling of Basin, but because two witnesses said that the first husband died, that is the uh, that's what Reb Shimon teaches in the Mishnah. So we have a uh, a halocha that once again if the woman's marriage to the second husband was as a result of the testimony of two witnesses which we know is a, the, a very very strong institution in halocha there's nothing stronger than the testimony of two witnesses so under those circumstances she's considered uh, anusa she's, uh, these are circumstances that the circumstances that led to her husband to the, to the marriage the second husband were beyond her control what, what better what more could she have done than rely on the testimony of two witnesses so when the first husband comes back she can go back to the first husband because her her behavior was an oinus and an oinus a, a woman who has intimacy under uh, oinus circumstances circumstances beyond her control does not render her forbidden to her first husband before we go on in the Gemara we have a topic heading on the side under the Nosei we've, we've noted Rav Rav appears in a firebox he's a, he's a central name for a, uh, a, for a long discussion in the Gemara Rav Poisek Commissioner Senu Rav issues a halachic ruling to say, saying that we should follow our Mishnah through saying says that the halacha is like our Mishnah namely a woman who married a second man uh, on the te- based on the testimony of two witnesses she can go back to the first husband when he reappears Bahim Sheikh in the continuation of the Gemara later Rav Nishma, in order to say, uh, we should, from, from Rav Sheshis will be aroused to uh, an exclamation because uh, from, from Rav, it, Nishma, it, it sounds, Sheyesh Cholkim. When you say that uh, the halacha is like substance, such and such, that terminology indicates that someone uh, uh, holds otherwise, and it's necessary for me to state the halacha is like. A as opposed to B. So from the terminology that Rav used, it, it seems that there are there's someone that would disagree with the teaching of Reb Shimon. Rav Sheshis' feeling is that everyone agrees she can go back to the first husband. So the question that the Gemara will deal with is why does Rav uh, express himself in such a way that leads us to think that there are others that disagree? The uh, Gemara, Omar Ravuna, Omar Rav, Ochi Hilchasa. So Ravuna quotes Rav, saying that thusly is the halacha that she can go back to the first husband. Omar Le Rav Nachman, and here we have a long question. Ganvo Genuvi Lomaloch. The the terms Ganvo Genuvi uh, literally would mean something that's done through thievery. Uh, what is Rav Nachman's intention by something that was, was stolen over here is the uh, Rav Nachman's claim that 
uh, Ravuna is saying something without giving uh, accurate sources for what he's saying. So let's continue. If you hold like Rabbi Shimon, then Amo halachik Rabbi Shimon. Then say that the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon, the Shmaitzech, Rabbi Shimon Kazakh, because your teaching is in effect, in effect following Rabbi Shimon. We pointed out before that the, the, when the Mishnah says, Nisei Shiloh Birshuz, Muteres Lachsolo, and then you come and say that's the why not say that's the, the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon? The Chitema. You might say, what, what caused Rav to avoid saying that you might say e amino aloch rebishimen if i would have said aloch avaros rebishimen mashma afilu bokamaisa it would imply that i would that rav would accept rebishimen even in the earlier halacha namely the halacha concerning the yibum that the bia the chalitza with the surviving brother is a uh, is a fulfillment of the mitzvah yibum and it would exempt the the uh, would free the uh, co-wife from the Yibum bond and, uh, and and Rav doesn't accept that so Amor so uh, Rav could have said Halacha Kirebi Shimon Bachruna why didn't Rav say it that way that we follow Rebbe Shimon regarding his latter point Namely, the uh, heter of going back to the first husband. Kashia. So this remains a point of difficulty. Omar Rav Sheshis. Uh, note that Rav Sheshis is going to raise his question. It's a long question. Omar Rav Sheshis. Amino kinayim v'shochiv rav omro loho shmaitza. I figure that Rav was dozing off Nayim Vishachim means a little bit awake and a little bit of a, 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 a slumber. Uh, that he was dozing off when he said what he did. Halacha. Mechlal Pligi. The uh, term that Rav used was, he said, Hochi Hilchasah. By saying it that way, you're implying that there are those that would argue uh, on Rav Shimon in the case of the woman who married. Uh, based on the test we married the second man based on the testimony of two witnesses my Mevad. what could she have possibly done she was relying on two witnesses Manus Ansa she was an Anusa was beyond her control namely her marriage to the second husband was due to the testimony of two witnesses what else could she have done? Uh, again, the testimony of two witnesses is viewed with extreme seriousness in the eyes of halacha. It's a very strong source of, of uh, reliability, a source of truth, possibly. So, when you're dealing with a woman who, uh, who entered the marriage with a second husband under oinous circumstances, of course... When the first husband comes back, she's entitled to return to him. And furthermore, we have a Tanaic source that will indicate that the Rabbonon agree with Rabbi Shimon. There's no machloikes. What does the source say? Kol Arayas Shomru Ein Srichos Heimenu Get 
when you're dealing with uh, forbidden relations, so the uh, man and woman uh, are to separate from one another, split up, and there's no need for a divorce document. With the exception of a married woman marrying another man, which is an example of Arias, forbidden relations, who married the second man based on the court ruling, which for us means based on the testimony of one witness where the court had sanctioned what he said and she relied on that. So there, a divorce document is necessary. So we continue with a, an inference. Al pi based in who the gita, al pi lo gita. Al pi means with, through the testimony of two witnesses, she doesn't need a get from that man, from the second husband. Her relations with him was an, under oinous circumstances, and of course, she can go back to the first husband. Money. Who would author this source? The source, of course, with its inference. Ilemo Rabbi Shimon. I'll be based in me by a get. If we're taught according to Rabbi Shimon, a woman who married the uh, second husband, based on the testimony of a singular witness, does Rabbi Shimon expect a get? Uh, from the second husband releasing her? Not at all. No get is required. And the uh, the Gemara p- points this out. We have we have a, a source in which Rabbi Shimon will indicate that. Rabbi Shimon Omer Asu Beisdin Bahorasan Kizadain Ish Beisha. A a marriage through the ruling of Beisdin, which is a, 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 a ruling based on the testimony of a singular witness claiming the first husband died, <laughs> that's viewed as Zodoin Ish Bisha, a deliberate cohabitation between a, uh, a uh, man uh, and a, 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 a woman married to another man, an, an act of, uh, of, um, of adultery. So that Rabbi Shimon views... So what happens in a case of adultery? So the, the woman leaves the first husband without... The second husband, the adulterer. He, he, she leaves him without any need for a get. So Rabbi Shimon declares that the, the case of the Hiras based, in, uh, based on the Eid Echad is a, a total separation without any need for a get. Alpi Edim a woman who married a second man based on the testimony of two witnesses that's viewed as a uh, an intimacy under uh, mistaken circumstances and she's allowed to go back to her first husband so as far as Rabbi Shimon is concerned the uh, the woman who married a second man based on the testimony of one witness so she becomes forbidden to her first husband but what's what, what's important to note here that is ed v ed lo baya get both cases as far as Rabbi Shimon are concerned do not require a divorce document. So we have both cases according to Rabbi Shimon don't need a divorce document. We had source 
of the source that's labeled above source with the diamond number one, in that source there was an inference made, a distinction drawn between the Alp based in versus the Alp Adem. In this source you've got the Alp based in and the Alp Adem with no distinction made. So it can't be according to so that the source number one cannot be in accordance with Rabbi Shimon. Elolav Rabbonanhi. So rather source which we labeled with diamond number one, that source is authored by the Rabbonon. And it says in that source that if she married Alpi Adam, if she married the second husband based on the testimony of two witnesses, she doesn't need a get from the second husband. She's an Anusa. And as an Anusa, she is allowed to go back to her first husband. And who's saying that? The Rabbonon. Not only Rabbi Shimon, the Rabbonon as well. So, and this brings us to the end of Rav Sheshis' question. The, the point mentioned that if she's Nisei Shalom Bershus, she got married without, the, without Basin, but rather through the testimony of two witnesses, she can go back to her first husband. This is a universally accepted point. And hence, there was no need for Rav to express himself using the term Hochi Hilchisa. That's Rav Sheshis' question. Uh, just to repeat the main, the main nugget of the, of the question, by saying Hochi Hilchisa, you're indicating that you're ruling like, one over, uh, like A over B, or ruling like Mr. X over Mr. Y. But <laughs> in this case, your ruling is something that's universally accepted. We continue in the Gemara. You'll notice that we have a a marking uh, scheme over here, and the the it's, uh, triangles. The triangles that appear here are, uh, are are answers to express why there was a need for Rav to say Hochi Hilchasa. We see uh, these uh, triangles. By the way, they continue at the top of Omid Beis. The Gemara continues. Li'olam Rabbi Shimon he. The source that we labeled source number one is in in in, uh, in fact not the Rabbonon. It is according to Rabbi Shimon. By having by having assumed. As Rav Sheshis did in his question, that it was according, that source number one was according to the Rabbonon. So then the uh, the point mentioned there, the inference point that I'll be him low by again, and she's an Anusa, she could go back to her first husband. The assumption Rav Sheshis made that that was authored by the Rabbonon, making that a universally accepted point. However, source number one, according to this approach, triangle number one, is not according to the Rabbonon. It is a source taught by Rabbi Shimon. Now, if it's taught by Rabbi Shimon, how can then there be a distinction between the two cases of Alpi Beisdin versus Alpi Adim? So the Gemara says, Utritz Hachi, and restate the uh, restate source number two thusly. And through restating source number two, we will then be able to uh, discover how source number one is according to Rabbi Shimon. What does it say? What's the restatement of source number two? Rabbi Shimon Oimer, Asu, Beisdin, 
Behoira Asan Kikavonas Ish Beisha Ubaya Get. The ruling of based in allowing a woman, based on the testimony of one witness, to uh, marry a second man is like a man and woman that got married intentionally. Kikavonas Ishbeisha means as a is viewed as a regular marriage, and a regular marriage necessitates a get in order to disband it. The uh, continuation of this res- of restated sources al p adim kishelo bekavonas ishbeisha v'lo get if a, a marriage to a second husband based on testimony of two witnesses saying that the first husband was dead that's uh, and then, of course, the first husband shows up. That is a non-marriage. It's like a uh, man and woman that, uh, that experience intimacy without marital intentions, and no get is required. So that the what, when we read source number two, in which Rabbi Shimon appeared, source number two, in 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 uh, in fact, then is not equating the two cases Mimela therefore source number one in which we made a distinction again non-equation of cases is according to Rebbe Shimon and not according to the Rabbonon and therefore source number one which is only according to Rebbe Shimon it is in, it's in effect a statement of Rabbi Shimon. It comes out then that only according to Rabbi Shimon do we uh, do we see that uh, a woman who married Al Piedim is considered Anusa and allowed to go back to her first husband. Well, that having been said, then that it's a Rabbi Shimon opinion. I need Rav to say that thusly is the halacha because it's only every Shimon opinion not that which is universally accepted we continue in the Gemara approach number two Rav Ashi Omar Le'inyan Isura Kotani Vehochi Ko'omar source number two in which Rabbi Shimon appeared is talking about the realm of Isur. If we look in Rashi, toward the end of the Rashi commentary, Linian Isura, Uli Oilom Kidikosalka Daitoch Meikora. According to Ravashi, uh, we are going to read the source as we originally understood it. Uh, when Rav Sheshis was presenting his question not as the first triangle did which reread the source instead of Kizodoin uh, Ishbisha it had read reread it as Kikavonas Ishbisha no Ravashi maintains the original presentation of Rabbi Shimon as Rav Sheshis stated uh, namely Kizodoin Ish Biashas Ish Umihu Linyan get lo komairi. 
However, regarding the need for a get, that wasn't the agenda of that source. The source that we labeled with the diamond number two above. The afagav, the medami, la lezadain. Even though we are comparing comparing the uh, woman who remarried based on the eight echad to a willingful uh, um, act of uh, of adultery. Nevertheless, by a get. Whereas in a case of adultery, no get is required. In the case of the marriage to the second husband uh, through the uh, testimony of, of one witness, so there, Rabbi Shimon will require a get. So now, we read in the Gemara, we said, Rav Ashi says, Le'inyan isura katani, v'hochi ko'amar. The uh, source in which Rabbi Shimon's name appeared, which was featured as diamond number two, is talking about the realm of prohibition. Asu Beisdin Bhiraasan, a marriage to a second husband uh, through the uh, upon relying on the testimony of one witness is Kizadon Isha She becomes forbidden to her first husband, just like an act of adultery is something that that when a married woman has relations with a, with another man, she becomes also to her husband, as well as to the paramour, so too in the case of the woman who married based on the testimony of one witness saying that the original husband was dead. She too is also to her husband. However, a get will be required. Al-pi-edim, however, in contrast, you have a woman who married a second man on the testimony of two witnesses, that's like a, uh, an unwitting case of uh, a man with married woman which does not result in her being prohibited to her husband so once again as far as uh, as far as uh, u- using source number uh, two as Rav Sheshes did to uh, show how source number one would have been authored uh, by the uh, Rabbonon and not by Rabbi Shimon so Rav, Rav Ashi is undoing that and therefore source number one in which we uh, drew the distinction namely Al-P in there is a get requirement that in fact is a position taken by Rabbi Shimon and hence, it was necessary for Rav to say the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon because source number one did not reflect the opinion of the Rabbonon. We continue at the top of Omid Beis with a third approach, Ravina Omar, Le'inyan Korban Kotani, Vehachi Ko'omar. The uh, source that we, uh, in which Rabbi Shimon appeared, uh, that we labeled diamond number two, is referring to the topic of sacrifices. And v'hachi kamar asu beizdin b'harason kizadon ish beisha v'lo masya korban. Sacrifices are brought for atonement when sins are done in an uh, an unwitting fashion, not when they're done knowingly. So the approach of Rabbi Shimon to the woman who married a second man based on the testimony of 
one witness which was uh, a result or through the uh, based in accepting it that's viewed in the eyes of halacha as a willing act of adultery and there's no korban to be brought however alpi edim if a woman married a second husband because two witnesses said that the fellow was dead and then he shows up then it's viewed as a mistaken adulterous relationship uh, unwitting and that is grounds for bringing a korban so once again the uh, source in which Rabbi Shimon uh, made a uh, made, made mention of the uh, based in uh, versus the Adim, the distinction there was with regard to one case brings a sacrifice and the other case does not bring a sacrifice. However, to use that statement of Rabbi Shimon to conclude that uh, both cases uh, uh, do not need a get, that is not true. And therefore, as we said before, uh, source number one in which a distinction was made uh, uh, Alpi Basin requiring a get and Alpi Adam not requiring a get that in fact is something that Reb Shimon would say and since it's only Reb Shimon the, the comment made there that Alpi Adam lo by Agito because she's like an Anusa and therefore Muta to go back to her first husband that's something that Reb Shimon said and because of that it was important for Rav to say Hachi Hilchasa to state the halachas like this over other opinions that would disagree. The Eboyasema, another approach. In fact, we're going to go back and say that the source that the source that we indicated with diamond number one is authored by the Rabbonan. Utritz Hachi and restate it as follows. Now that source had had, had said that kol arayis shomru ain shomru ain get, and the continuation would be chutz meishes ish v'shenises alpi beisdin, with the exception of those cases that a get will be required, and the case of of meishes ish Rashi points out. That's the case where she remarried based on the testimony of two witnesses as well as the case of the woman remarrying based on the testimony of one witness. In both cases, a get is required. Uh, and and uh, with that in mind, since a get is required, Rashi points out... Uh, a get from the first husband is also required that shows us that she was in effect viewed as let me just go restate that a get is required not only from the first husband from the second husband as well so from the fact that the get was required from the second husband as well that indicates to us that was a it's viewed by the Rabbonon as a serious type marriage and therefore she will become usher to the first husband. And once again, I, I want to emphasize here, according to this rereading, even a case where she married based on the testimony of two witnesses, we don't say, according to the Rabbanon, it's viewed as simply as an act of oinus, but it's a, a real marriage. And as such, 
she uh, needs a get from him, and she will then, uh, a woman who was uh, married by Mr. One and then married number two, she can't go back to being with Mr. One. So she's also on both. It's only Rabbi Shimon then that says Muteres Lachzor Lerishon, and hence it was important for Rav to spell out Hachi Hilchasa. We continue uh, with a very significant question uh, in the Gemara. Um, at, at this point, uh, we can say that uh, we had four answers, four approaches to, uh, let's say, deflect Rav Sheshis's question of what, why was it necessary for Rav to say and Rav Sheshis constructed his question based on uh, certain assumptions regarding uh, Bryce's Tanaic sources that we saw quoted in the Gemara. The uh, four answers basically, uh, let's say, reevaluated those assumptions, making it necessary for Rav to rule like Rebbe Shimon, like Rebbe Shimon's halacha. Here the Gemara uh, raises a uh, a question based on, let's say, the Savora that we mentioned earlier as to why is it that when she marries the second husband based on the testimony of two witnesses we allow her we'll say Rabbi Shimon allows her to go back to the first husband and what was the svara there the svara was my what else could she have done therefore since she had no other nothing else that she could have done we say it was an act of oynes, something beyond her control and when you have a married woman with another man under ones circumstances we allow her to go back to her husband uh, on the side of the Gemara under our no sour topic heading, we have uh, we're introducing the Gemara. If she got married based on the testimony of two witnesses that said the husband died, the the and the husband came back. She can go back to the first husband, but Taina the Mai with the claim. What else could she have done? We're going to see a series of diamonds, and under our Mivne heading, this introduces a Sidra. The diamonds uh, re- represent a Sidra, a Sirishal Makoros, Kushios, series of sources that actually are questions, Shemalamdim Lechor, that teach uh, apparently, the Loamrinon Mayhavalola Mevat. Well, a whole list of situations where we, we don't introduce that claim, that explanation that justification namely of my but we do require uh, something else and if that be the case if we are if we are successful in in deflecting or uh, disarming this hezber of my havalolamevad then we're going to have to we're have to we'll be hard pressed to understand why is it that a woman who married based on the testimony of two witnesses why would Rishimun say she can go back to the first husband? So now the Gemara, Mosiv Ula, Miamrinon my Havelolamevad. Is that a is that really a claim? Is that a justification? Vehatnan. We have a, a Tanaic source that deals with 
uh, the the writing of a get of a divorce document. There are quite a few details in the writing of a divorce document, and if there is any deviation from the requirements, the document the get is cons- will be considered void because ineffective. Uh, uh, so the source mentions that when you write a get, you also you have to date it, and you date it according to uh, a certain, let's say, starting point, a certain frame of reference. Uh, often the frame of reference was the the uh, year of that particular king's reign. Say that this get is being written in the third year of so and so's reign. That would be just an example. So if you have a get that is, we'll say, misdated in those terms, Kosav l'shen malchus sheinah higenes. If a person wrote a uh, a divorce document that he should have been dating in terms of a Jewish king, uh, and he wrote it in the name, he he dated it in terms of the Roman Empire, or l'shen malchus modai, l'shen malchus yovon, or uh, using the Median, uh, the Mede, uh, monarchy or the Greek monarchy, Lavinian Habayas, Lechurban Habayas, or uh, the number of years since the building of the Holy Temple, or the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, Hoya Bemizrach because of Bemarov. If he was located in the east, and he indicates that he's writing this get while he's in the west, or Bemarov because of Bemizrach. Again, all of these are examples of inaccuracies. Teitzei Mizet Umizet. If she married uh, a second husband with this type of divorce document she must leave both she's not allowed to be married to either men, not, not the first husband, nor the second husband the whole hadrochim ho'eluba and all of the uh, financial losses etc. that were featured in our Mishnah apply to this woman Vi'amai, why should this woman lose out so much why not simply claim that she married the second man under onus circumstances? What else could she have done? She thought that it was a kosher uh, divorce document. So as such, why should she be uh, penalized as uh, so far so much? The Gemara answers that here you can't say my havelomavid. What could she have done? Because she had what to do and didn't do it. A by a law la cruye legita. She should have read the divorce document uh, certainly before uh, uh, marrying a second man. Uh, Rashi says la cruye legita lefnei chacham in front of someone who's knowledgeable and would have pointed out the mistake in the divorce document. And since she didn't do that, she and, and went ahead and married a second man anyway. She deserves to lose everything that she does. That's not like the case of a woman who heard the testimony of two witnesses indicating that her husband was dead. What more could she have done and hence married the second man? Omar Ravsimi Bar Ashi Toshma. We're uh, introducing another source, which will be a challenge to, uh, will we'll, we'll say, uh, strengthen Ula's question. Hakrene says Yevimto, 
Vaholcha Sorasa Venises. A man, uh, a, a surviving brother, married his sister-in-law. Through that marriage, the uh, the dead brother who had other wives, the other co-wives, the Sora, as is, as they are known, she went and married someone else. She married Lashuk. That's Vaholcha Sorasa Venises. She married outside, which is standard procedure when Yibum is done with one of the surviving one of the widows the other co-wives are released to marry whomever they want so that's what happened Venimses Zu Ailinus and the Yavoma the uh, one that was chosen to do Yibum turned out to be an Ailinus a woman incapable of procreation Teitse Mizeh Umizeh, the Tzorah that married out in the meantime, she must leave her husband and she cannot be with the Yavam either. She loses out on all the uh, benefits that we had uh, indicated in, the, in our Mishnah. Now, the, the uh, reason for the Tzorah having to, uh, let's say, be. Uh, uh, separated from her husband is, she, is simply she shouldn't have married out because the uh, the mitzvah yibum has not been accomplished and why is that? Because the Yavoma, the widow that was married turned out to be an Eiliness and an Eiliness does not fulfill yibum requirements but now we ask why does the Tzara who married Lashuk have to lose out she has to leave the second husband and she can't go to the Yavam and everything and loses all the financial benefits why? we ask what could she have done she saw one of the co-wives marrying the surviving brother that was the green light for her to marry someone else the Gemara answers there was what for her to do she should have waited she shouldn't have the, the co-wife that Sora shouldn't have married out she should have waited to see if this Yavoma is going to develop into an islandess or not so there was something for her to do and she didn't do it, she didn't wait therefore she loses out not so in the case of our topic of the woman who uh, who married based on the testimony of two witnesses saying that her, her first husband was dead Omar Abaye, Toshma, again, a source that will uh, call into question the uh, the excuse of my Havalolam Evad. Kol Arayas Shomru Potros Tzorosehem. This is, of course, from the beginning of our Masichta. Uh, if we just keep a just keep a simple illustration, because maybe it's been a long time since we've discussed this. You have Ruvain and Shimon are brothers. And uh, Ruvain married Shimon's daughter. Ruvain was married also to a, another wife. There were two wives. But Ruvain died, leaving no children. The surviving brother is the father of one of Ruvain's wives. She is an erva. She is a forbidden relationship. A father does not marry his daughter. As a result of the daughter being one of the Yevomis the co-wife is exempted as well. Just like a daughter is exempted, the co-wife is as well. That's kol arayas, all forbidden relations exempt the co-wives. Holchut soros venisu, the 
co-wives seeing that they're not bound at all went ahead and married out they married whoever they wanted and then it turned out that the Sora, using our example Shimon's daughter that had been married to Reuben turns out uh, to be an islandess she develops physiologically in such a way that she's clearly not capable of reproduction not maturing properly she is an islandess Oh, so if she's an islandess, the the Mishnah says, "Tetze mizel mizeh." The Soros, in the meantime, that had married out, are to leave their husbands, and they do not. None of them will do yibum. And all the financial losses that we had seen in our Mishnah apply here as well. Now the uh, we have to add a little uh, explanation, and that is when the when uh, Shimon's daughter that was married to him it turns out to be an islandess, we uh, we categorize that marriage as a mekachtos, as a mistaken a marriage on mistaken grounds. A person, unless otherwise stated, a, a person expects to marry a woman that is not an islandess that's capable of procreation. So, a man who marries a woman like that, and it turns out that she's an islandess, is considered mekaftos, and therefore, she, the, the daughter of Shimon, who is that, was never really married to Reuven, and the co-wives are not co-wives of an erva. And if they're not co-wives of an erva, they're simple widows of, of Reuven, they should have done yibum. Now, here, in this case, we're describing the erva turning out to be an islandess. Therefore, the co-wives shouldn't have married out. Ah, and it says in the source that they all lose out. They, when, they, when they do marry out, they have to leave their husbands, and they lose out on all their financial benefits. Why is that so? Couldn't you say here what we said with the case of the uh, woman who married based on the testament of two witnesses? What else could she have done? These uh, Tsaros married out thinking at the time that they were Tsaros Erva. Answer? Eboya law lemtune. They should have waited. They shouldn't have married out uh, so quickly. They should have waited to see, uh, in our case, how Shimon's daughter, who is now a widow, how she uh, would develop physiologically. Now they didn't wait. Had they waited and seen that she's an islandess, they would have realized that they are still candidates for Yibum and not and should not have married out. So in that case, it's not a situation of what could they have done. They could have done something and didn't do it. That's why they have to lose out. Omar Rova, Toshma. We cite a source uh, involving the writing of a get, we're also going to make reference to a receipt, a receipt is something that a woman will give the husband that divorced her upon his paying her a the ksuba kosav soifer get leish v'shoifer leisha a scribe was preparing a divorce document for a man and a receipt for a, uh, for the for the wife a mistake happened and the, the scribe delivered the divorce document uh, in an envelope to the woman 
and the receipt to the man. And then the, we'll say, the day of divorce came about. And the get was given by the woman to the man, which is something that uh, Jewish law, of course, uh, doesn't accept. So the, it was the woman giving a divorce document to the man, and the man was giving a receipt to the woman, which obviously makes no sense. The woman is the one who receives the payment, not, and, and therefore she gives a receipt to the man. So there was this switch around that took place, and then the woman went ahead and married another man, thinking that she was divorced. And after a while, it's discovered that the, the man is holding on to the get. In other words, the husband never did the act of giving a get to the wife. In fact, the, the scribe gave it to her. That's, that's of no meaning. A husband has to give the divorce document to the wife. And that never happened. And the, the shover turned out to be in the possession of the woman. The shover is supposed to be in the hands of the husband. So it turns out that the woman was never divorced. Here's a, a woman that now has to leave her second husband and is ushered to the first husband. And, and all the losses that the Mishnah accounted for apply here as well. Why should she lose out so much? Why not say, But what could she have done? She, uh, she thought that she was receiving a divorce document from her husband. And a woman who gets divorced is certainly allowed to marry anyone she wants. And certainly not to suffer all of this loss. There is something she could have done and didn't do it. Ibaya law, la cruye legita. Before marrying out, she should have read the document that she received from her husband. And had she done that, she would have seen that she's reading a receipt. She's not reading a divorce document. Namely, she never received a divorce. Now, she didn't do that. So she acted negligently. And therefore, she loses out. Not so in the case of the woman who remarried based on the testimony of two witnesses. Omar Ravashi, Toshma. Again, we continue with uh, uh, divorce document issues. Shino Shmoi Ushma. Shame Iro Bashem Ira. A scribe. Uh, recorded the the names of the couple inaccurately, changed the name of the man, changed the name of the woman, or their uh, their the cities in which they live, which is inf- information that's necessary to include in a divorce document, but it was recorded inaccurately. And then she went ahead, receiving this kind of document, this divorce document, and married out. She married someone else, but she's not considered divorced because of these inaccuracies. Teitzei mizeh mizeh v'chol hadrochim o'elu ba. She is forbidden to remain with the second husband. She's not considered divorced. She can't go back to the first husband. And all of the losses that we've mentioned till now apply to this woman. Why should she lose out? Why not use the same excuse? What else could she have done? Answer, not surprisingly, before marrying a second man, she should have read the document. (laughs) She would have discovered that the name that appears in there is not her name. And she would thereby have realized that she's not divorced. But she didn't do so. So she was negligent. And therefore, she deserves to lose out, as we explained. Omar Ravino Toshma. 
let's try to uh, show how um, the excuse of my Havalol Mevat is uh, not a sufficient excuse from the following case. Konso beget kireach. Now, the, the, the term get kireach is a reference to a very special kind of divorce document that was prepared improperly. There are, there's something called a get makusha. That involves a divorce document that uh, the text is written on one side and witnesses sign on the opposite side. And uh, the witness signing on the opposite side, uh, line by line, must correspond to the writing of the text on the first side. If a line of witnesses uh, is skipped, that is called a get kereach. It's an improper divorce document. The, of course, the details of a get kereach are, are discussed extensively in Maseches Gitin. But a, a man married a woman based on her having received a get kereach. As we say, that's an inaccurate or an improper, ineffective get. She leaves both husbands and must experience all of the loss mentioned. So, why should she lose out? You notice the, the Gemara here is, is quite terse and just it leaves you to fill in the blanks. What You're supposed to ask, well, why should she lose out? What else could she have done? And the Gemara answers, as we've answered before, she should have read the document she should have noticed the fact that a line of witnesses signing was missing but she didn't do that and therefore there was what for her to do Rav Papa Sovar Lemevad Uvda Bemai Havalo Lemevad Rav Papa encountered a situation of a woman who had married a second man based on the testimony of two witnesses and the original husband came back Rav Papa wanted to restore her to the first husband based on this claim of what else could she have done she was an Anusa it was beyond her control Rav Huna says, "What about all the sources we got finished with? All these, these, uh, these sources we introduced with diamonds above, and, and in, in all of those sources, we have a woman which ostensibly, she, uh, what was there for her to do? My and we don't allow her to go back to the first husband." We said in each one of the cases, She's not allowed to go back to the first husband. Even though in all those cases, ostensibly, what else could she have done? Rav Papa says back to Rav Huna Shaninu. Didn't we answer all of those cases? Didn't we show how all of those were not situations that were beyond her control? That there was for there was what for her to do? So that the fact in the fact that she's also to go back to the first husband in all of those cases, that's because she acted with a degree of negligence. Not so in the case that I am confronted with. Omar Lay. 
Rav Huna, Brev Yeshua says back to Rav Papa. And based on uh, answers that we happen to give to uh, for to uh, uh, forestall all of the questions that were raised, you think we're we're going to rely on our answers? Rashi on the third line under the Gemara text, uh, the second word on that line says Omar Le Bashni Lismo. If we through through uh, through dochek uh, is to to push home a point to to force to force an answer, if you will, uh, that's not an answer that we give. Doesn't necessarily totally dispel the question. Anan memeilo shaminon delo amrinon mai hava le lemevad. From from the fact that the answers that we gave were called we'll, we'll call them push off answers, we we see at the end of the day that uh, we're not going to really rely on that claim of mai hava lo lemevad. In other words. in all the sources there still was a possibility to claim well what could she have done Um, and and still we saw that she was forbidden to go back to the first husband Rashi adds on the second line from the bottom and upon hearing uh, Rav Huna Brevishu's objection Rav Huna Rav Papa that is Rav Papa in fact did not allow the, the lady, in his case, to go back to the first husband. Now, we continue with the Gemara with a, uh, a, a new point, a new topic. On the side of the Gemara, we record here, Dino Shel Ravashi, which is Lakola Lo Chayshinan. A kol is what may be loosely translated would be rumors or murmurings. Murmurings that the uh, that a uh, that the first husband is still alive. Again, a woman whose husband went abroad, and uh, it w- she was informed that he was dead, and she married a second man. If this is done in the context of murmurings that the husband is still alive, well, we're not going to pay credence to those murmurings. That's Ravashi's din. However, the Gemara has to qualify, clarify and qualify what is he talking about. The Gemara. Omar Ravashi. Ulakola loy chayshinon. We are not going to be choshesh for murmurings. Rashi says, second line from the bottom, If murmurings go out that the husband, after she married uh, in uh, through the uh, a court approval, and then word went out that the first husband was still alive, but he didn't come to us, he didn't show up, so we don't take those murmurings into consideration. She, rem- she would remain with the second husband. The Gemara continues. Hey, Colin, when you say uh, rumors or murmurings we, we don't pay attention to, what, what, which murmurings? 
If we're talking about a case like we just described, there are murmurings after she married. Ravashi already told us about that. We're now reading at the top of Tzadi Bezom and Aleph. Kol kola de basar nisuin lo chayshinon. Murmurings that take place after a woman married. We don't heed them. Rashi explains at the top. Kol kola de basar nisuin kagon. Koyhein shenasa isha. A koyin married a woman. Fehanyasolo kol grusha alzona. And then word out that word went out after he married her that she was a divorcee or she was a zona. Women that are ordinarily forbidden to koyhanim. But it's after he married her th- uh, under thinking that everything was kosher. So murmurings that surface after marriage, we don't pay attention to that. So once uh, Rav Ashi tells us that halacha, why does Rav Ashi have to say again over here, lokala lo chayshinan? The Gemara answers, mahu detema hoyol v'asoy lebeidina the case that Ravashi was dealing with was a woman who heard that her husband was dead through the testimony of one witness and she came to the court to, uh, to establish that she is now free what, what we see is since there was this need to come to the court and make sure we see that there was this suspicion in the we'll say in the back of our minds that the first husband was still alive so she went to the court and and got approval to marry maybe we should view this scenario as as a murmuring before her marriage and when the Kul goes out when murmuring start to surface even after she got married but this was something that she entertained even before her marriage that he was might still be alive maybe the murmurings under these circumstances should be reason for her to be ushered to the second husband Komashmon Rav Ashi is telling me no let's go over Rashi on the second line from the top since she had to come to Beisden to get permission to marry a second man, Alma Bechai Therefore, you see that there was an element of doubt that maybe he was still alive even before she married the second man. The Hilkoch Therefore, one might have thought that the murmurings that happened after she got married are like murmurings from before. And that would be reason for it to be usher to the second man. Komash Malon, this is what Rav Ashi is telling us, that even under those circumstances, we don't, uh, we don't prevent, we don't usher, we don't forbid her to remain with the second husband.